Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Iwaki Maxim. Ah, back in Seattle. I am here with the luxury of a real microphone and time and space and privacy and all my stuff. I'm enjoying having all my stuff here. Last week I uh, recorded an episode on my phone sitting on the floor in a hotel room at the Marriott, North Carolina. Because the week before that I lost a microphone in California. Because I've been going around a little bit. Even though one shouldn't be going around these days because there's a pandy. There's a global pandy. But, uh, yep. I had to do it. I had to. Went around. Got got tested for COVID yesterday, though, and results came back this morning, and I'm good. I've been home for a week, so, um, yep, should be good. Because I've been careful, but, uh, yep, still shouldn't do it. I renounce and deject myself. You know, if this was the New Zealand Parliament, I'd I'd renounce and deject myself. Uh, what else is going on? <clears throat> Just kind of happy to be back. Was living out of a backpack for three weeks. Maybe we should go to a water. I don't know. I'm feeling very blessed and at peace and empty-minded. So maybe we start with the water. Today we're doing berries, lots of different raspberries and other berries. Um, let's start with this wild CBD. Now, the other wild CBDs have been some of my favorites. Wild spelled with a, with a Y. W-Y-L-D, wild CBD. Raspberry, 25 milligrams of CBD. Let's smell it. Oh, that smells like real raspberries. Like you can smell it and you can tell, you can, you can feel like it's going to taste, like the liquid is going to be kind of thick. I don't know, I really associate raspberry flavor with like thickness because raspberry juice is real thick if you juice up some raspberries. Oh, that's good. It's a CBD drink in the sense that it does have that hemp flavor. It does have that flower flavor, that earthiness, that sort of stingy earthiness. Clear, broad, real fresh raspberry flavor, though. Mmm, can only recommend this. It's just very good. Raspberry juice and sparkling water and this sort of hemp infusion. I like it. Yep, 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 right off the bat. Let's see, what else is going on? I um, I have spoken about my dad many times on the podcast. Um, I have spoken about how I have chosen not to talk to him. So I hadn't talked to him since February or January or something. Um, 
and I did that because it makes me upset to talk to him because he doesn't take care of himself so much. And then I remember when I visited David Phillips six months ago or something down in Portland, Oregon. There was especially this one moment after we recorded our podcast, because we talked about this on the podcast a lot, but then after the podcast, he we drove around a little bit before he drove me to the train station, and that car ride, <laughs> that car ride got a little bit intense. The car ride got pretty intense with Dave being like, Dave saying that I need to talk to my dad. Saying things like, what if your dad died today? Wouldn't you rather have talked to him? Which is a good argument. It's a pretty straightforward argument. It's the argument, it's where a lot of people's minds go. This is a big conversation. It, the, the, do we cut people off or not in our families? Like, should we estrange ourselves from family members? And, um, People have different opinions on it. The thing is that in Sweden, we don't have the concept of cutting people off. I don't know anyone in Sweden that's like, yeah, I don't talk to my brother because of that thing he did at the wedding. I haven't talked to him for 12 years. Like that doesn't, but in America, everyone is like, yeah, I haven't, my dad hasn't talked to his dad since the 80s. We don't know anything that's going on with him. In America, the, the family tree has a way of bifurcating where there's like a schism and everyone takes sides and you end up with two tribes. A tribe will split. And I think it goes hand in hand with a healthy attitude of wanting to talk talk about things and hash things out and and confront your issues because when you confront your issues things get really explosive and I really feel like in Sweden we don't confront our issues and we don't talk about stuff and things get really really um things get really quiet people opt for silence and people don't talk about stuff and then you just kind of sit there and Yeah, relationships don't get very sophisticated or deep or meaningful. And there can be a lot of loneliness, but you see everyone for the holidays, you know? And I don't know, for some reason I really like the radical honesty confrontation thing. And I mean, the podcast is about that a lot. And... And I attempted to introduce this concept of um, cutting someone off. And I <clears throat> it started with me sending my dad a message of um, saying that I didn't want to talk to him until he got sober. And then he, he never, I don't think he ever understood what I was saying. And every month he would try to call me and send me some voice messages being like, hey, I tried to call you, you didn't pick up. And it's like... Well, scroll up and read my messages about how I don't want to talk to you. But he he never scrolled up, you know. And um, so that's just a sort of recap. And then in the last two months, 
Well, first of all, the things that David Phillips said to me, I absorbed them. And I sat with them and I thought about them. And, and I mean, he's right, you know, he's right. I, you should, yeah, I don't know. Whenever I talk to an American about this, the American is always like, yeah, there are these two, three, four people that I am not in contact with because we cut them off or my cousin cut my dad off and I had to side with my cousin. And it's, there's always a schism. And then the American is always like, but we shouldn't cut people off. Somehow there's this duality where Americans are cutting people off constantly, but they're always anti-cutting people off. So, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a position that no one wants to take the position. No one wants to be pro-isolation and pro-splitting of the tribe, but it just happens. So... Whenever I talk to an American about this, they say that I need to be talking to my dad. And then I um, have been thinking about that, and I've been thinking about how I should talk to my dad, and I've been putting it off. And he sends me little voice messages, and mostly they are silence, because he's too wasted to figure out the technology, so he'll send me long voice messages of, of silence. And wow, it's so interesting to listen to those messages, because... When you sit there and you listen to a three-minute message of just silence or just ambient background noise, really what you're listening to is just your own thoughts. And man, you learn a lot about yourself in those three minutes of silence. Um, it becomes very clear what I want the message to be. Like I want the message to be... <clears throat> him sounding totally different and him sounding really lucid and him saying something lucid about himself, you know, or him saying that he's doing good or, you know, something that proves that he's not doing suicide by alcohol, you know, that slow decade long process of committing suicide by just slowly drinking yourself to death. Thing is, man, I kind of think that's what he's doing, but I also think that he has to, his body, you know, strong like bull. You know, he's just, he has the strongest body, and he has these siblings, and all of his siblings are in really bad shape after they've all been really high-functioning members of society that, like, made a lot of money and took care of themselves a little bit. You know, went to the gym, ate a vegetable, all this stuff. But all of his siblings are in bad shape, just riddled with health issues. And my dad, he's just like, I mean, his mind is slipping, but he has no health issues. Just like 40 years of smoking a pack a day, drinking a bottle a day, and no health issues just eating white bread with yellow cheese on it every day for 40 years, no health issues. It's just so crazy, you know? It's that gene lottery. You know, the genetics is is 51% of it, I guess. So um, I've been thinking I should be talking to him, and I've been putting it off. And then this week was his birthday. So I called him. And before I called him, I checked in with my sponsor, because I was like, what attitude should I have here? And um, 
my sponsor was like, don't make it about you. No, really what I said was, I've been thinking about, maybe I should read the message because I'm such a silly goose. This is what I wrote. Well, for the last three, four months, I've been feeling like I'm playing the victim too much and I'm in a good enough place mentally that I could probably handle talking to him and it would mean a lot to him. And I've been procrastinating with reaching out, so I figured his birthday would be apt. And then my sponsor responded, so this is really about you. And I'm like, how is it about me? And he, he goes, you used the word I six times. And it's like, yeah, I mean... I guess it is about me, you know? I mean, everything is about me. Because I'm a narcissist. Um, so I decided not to make it about me. As much as I can, which isn't very much, but I did what I could in terms of not making it about me. And what that means for me is that I called him because I think that would mean a lot to him. I called him on his birthday and I didn't do this thing that I want to do where we confront the issues and talk about stuff and, and do anything about it. I just talked to him and listened, you know? I just called and I listened and we checked in. And so I call him up and um, within 10 seconds we were, he started talking about the coronavirus. And then we talked about the coronavirus for 45 minutes because that's a low-stakes, impersonal, chill, social thing to be talking about. Where you're just sort of shooting the shit. You're talking about the coronavirus. And then after that, we talked about U.S. politics for 15 minutes. Which, to two Swedes, that's also a low-stakes, doesn't matter, we don't have a stake in it, um, no pressure. It's just sort of, you're shooting the shit. And the vibe is just like, yeah, that Donald Trump guy, huh? He was real rude, huh? And yeah, this Biden guy, huh? Don't know anything about him. He's so old, huh? And that's it, you know? That's the level. And um, it was nice. We talked for an hour. And uh, I... Um, so I called him at midnight, my time, because that's morning on his birthday, his time. Because early in the day for him, I figured then he doesn't have an opportunity to maybe to get wasted. And maybe it's good to talk to him before he gets wasted. So I called him in the morning, his time. And so when we've talked for an hour, it's after 1 a.m. my time. So I, I'm like, I start winding it down and I start wrapping it up. And then when I do that, he very suddenly, without a segue, starts saying these things in a very fragmented way, which are the things he has been wanting to say about how things are different now. And I didn't ask for him to say that, and he wanted to say that, and he was saying things... It didn't make much sense. It was very fragmented. It was like when you've rehearsed something in the mirror too many times. You know that feeling? Like when you have a rant and you write down what you want to say and you rehearse it many times, but when you rehearse too many times, you end up forgetting about 
you end up memorizing a line here and a line here and a line here and you you sort of lose the the thread the things threading those things together where whereas somehow it's way more coherent and easy to follow and it's way more real if you if you just said it to the person the first time you thought about it but that's not what he did he had been thinking about these things for almost a year and so he did hear me you know and I mean it suggests to me that he is a fairly disintegrated person just like me just like me my um therapist always told me that Tyson I've had many therapists but one therapist Tyson this guy who was a young guy he was my age he was a classic old school Freudian psychotherapy therapist and he always told me that my problem was disintegration and one of the reasons one of the things about me that's very disintegrated is that in different groups people call me different names I have different names I introduce myself with different names in different groups and he always thought that that was this very disintegrated thing. And in different languages, I have totally different personalities. Like in Swedish, I'm one person, and in English, I'm one person, and in Chinese, I'm a different person. And, um, what was I talking about? My dad. Yeah, my dad, it felt disintegrated with my dad because on the one level, he is this social guy who wants to talk to me and and just sort of shoot the shit and talk about the coronavirus and that guy doesn't know why I haven't been wanting to talk why we haven't talked for a year that guy is like wow what wow it's been a while huh is how that guy is oh wow it's been a while where you been how's it going haven't seen you around what are you doing how are what's going on that guy is like that light social doesn't understand what we have what we must have you must have missed my call for 10 months and then there's this other person in there who's like yeah i'm different now and i understand why you haven't been talking to me and and i um and that person admitted to me that alcohol was the problem and he said he's been drinking less. Now, as someone in the program and someone doing the 12 steps and all that stuff, you know, you read the big book. And the thing is that if you're a real big book style alcoholic, then there's no, I've been drinking less. That's not a thing, you know. In Swedish, we have this concept of a periodare, <clears throat> which is fairly interesting. It's a it's a person who um, has different periods, periods of heavy drinking, periods of sobriety. I don't know. It's a, it's a more European thing. It's, it really, my, all my French friends back in, that I knew back in Shanghai, like my friend Cami, shouts out to Cami, who I video chatted with while I was hanging out with my buddy Matt on this trip the last three weeks, video chatted with Cami. <laughs> Cammy is such a crazy character. Cammy is the kind of person who you hang out with him and he's like, yeah, I'm not drinking right now. 
and he'll stay sober for months sometimes because he's been drinking too much. And then most of the time, though, he drinks a bottle of wine every day or more, or he drinks beer. And he's always trying to um, modulate his drinking by um, changing what he's drinking, you know? Because it's like the best thing that we all want to drink is to get a bottle of Red Label, you know? But then the next week, he's like, he's sitting around in the park, and he's like, no, 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 I only drink Ricard. Ricard. You know, that star anise or licorice-flavored, white, thick, liquid French stuff. I don't know. It's like it starts out green, and you pour it in water, and it goes white. Or There's some color thing I can't even remember. But it's like licorice-flavored, real good. Lots of sweetness to it. You know, it's kind of like in the category of chartreuse, green chartreuse, delicious like that. Complex, old French proprietary mix. So then you're sitting around in the park and he only drinks Ricard. And then the next week he's like, no, no, I only drink wine because wine, when I drink wine, I don't get that fucked up. And then the next week he's like, no, no, I only drink Heineken because if I only drink Heineken, I don't get too fucked up. It's like, okay, Cam. All right, Cammy. But he has this, there's this period thing to it where it's like you're in a period of drinking, you're in a period of sobriety. And the Swedish word periodare, it's sort of like a period person, a perioder. Um, and then when I was talking to Cam last week, it's like <laughs> while we're video chatting, he has a pizza delivered and he opens a bottle of red wine. Because in France, they're doing a full shutdown. And he, he is now, in the year 2020, I haven't talked to him in five years, now he's a big Trump supporter. And he's like, you know, for me, looking at it, for me, Trump is the best. It's like, okay, Cam. All right, Cam. So, yeah. Apparently, his diet right now is a bottle of wine a day and in lockdown in Paris. Yeah, I guess he's in a period of drinking. But so my dad is a little bit of a period guy, and um, now my dad is drinking, and he's trying to drink less, and maybe he can drink less for a little bit, but... Um, that does imply that there hasn't been a spiritual awakening, you know? It does imply that there hasn't been that enlargement of the spiritual life, which is mandatory if you want to um, really have the obsession leave you. You know? Obsession of the mind, allergy of the body. If you really have it, there's, there's no drinking less. But, um, so I'm on the call with my dad and an hour in, I try to wind it down and he goes into this thing where he's sort of throwing out these statements like, things are different now, alcohol was the problem. I acknowledge that. I'm drinking less, I'm doing better. And I'm sort of puzzling this together because it's a lot of different directions and it's a lot of different things that don't make sense in there and it's very incoherent and and he's giving me this and and I just sort of listen and say nice things and say that it's good that that sounds great and I'm happy that he's doing better and he's like yeah everyone thinks I'm doing better and it's like that's good that's good and then there's this part of it that's like because there's 
there's the alcohol and then there's the prescription benzos and I always felt like the benzos and the daily benzo use is it's part of the problem and um he's not ready to give up the benzos and um He's been on the benzos for too long, and he's telling me about these different doctors, but it's all very incoherent, where he's like, I went to this clinic here, and he's giving me these names, and I don't know who these people are, like Dr. This and Dr. That, and the problem with Dr. This was that he thought I shouldn't have it, so I had to find it. So basically, what I'm piecing together is that different doctors have told him that he shouldn't be taking benzos every day, and and his takeaway from that is always to find a new doctor. And then apparently he has found a doctor who will still prescribe him benzos, but less. So he's on a lower dose of benzos, but he still takes benzos every day, every morning. He starts the day with a benzo. And the thing that he's saying about it is that <clears throat> it's working and it's making him feel better. And he's sober because it's such a low dose. And he's telling me that no one can tell that he's on benzos and as he's telling me this he is slurring his words and I can tell that he is not sober and he's saying that everyone thinks he's sober and um, and that's the moment where in the past I want to argue with him and I want to I want to I want him to see it the way I see it but I think it is now time to just listen and realize that we can't force a horse to drink we can only lead the horse to water and then you can carry the message and you can only really talk about it in terms of yourself you can talk about the problem you had and what you did and if people think that there's been a change in you that might be attractive to them so really what you can do is you can be the water but you can't force the horse to drink and and honestly I didn't even do that I didn't even I wasn't even the water and I just listened and said that it sounded good and that I was happy that he's doing better and and honestly maybe it is good and maybe it is better and maybe it's good enough and if he is if he's drinking less and taking a low dose of benzo and if he sounds kind of wasted but he feels all right then maybe that's maybe that's his program you know everyone's program is different and maybe I shouldn't um insert myself maybe I shouldn't make that about me you know because the way I make it about me is like I want him to be okay because I think we're on the same life track and I am fearful of sounding wasted when I'm his age but that's about me and um yeah <laughs> I just have to do my thing, you know. That's my stuff, you know. That's like what I have to work through. And that's something I have worked through a lot, and it's fine. You know? Uh, maybe we should go to another water. All right. So, this is another cool one. Sparkling botanicals. We've done a couple of these. They're always incredibly bitter. They're always incredibly difficult to drink. Very flavorful. My favorite was the Shisandra berry, the five flavor berry. I definitely would recommend that one because it's such a journey. It's like, 
it only has one thing in there. It's this one berry that they've pressed and mixed with sparkling water, and it's it's got bitterness, it's got saltiness, but it's also got sweetness and umami. It's got all of these incredible flavors in there, and it's just one berry that has the whole palette. It's such a journey. And then there was dandelion ginger, and there was black lemon, and those two I found kind of too bitter, but very interesting. And then here today, we're doing Patagonia Mackay. Let's find out how it's pronounced. Maki chili. Maki chili? Why is it pronounced Maki chili? Maki. 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 <laughs> okay, that's so funny. The first three hits, the first three search results, all pronounce it differently. Maqui. 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 Dictionary.com says Maqui. Anyway, um, um, Patagonia Maqui. So Maqui is a berry. Let's read the copy because the copy on the side is always good. Wild forest maki berry boldly lands on the palate with accents from red wine grape skins and forest berries to create a sophisticated flavor with an almost wine-like profile. Maki berries are priced are a priced source of antioxidants like anthocyanins and have been traditionally used by the people of the Patagonia for vitality and cleansing. That's, they use the word cleansing because they don't want to use the word detox. And that's bad. Because detox is not real. Let's try it. Ooh. That smells... It smells berry, just like... Um, yeah, it smells a lot like raspberry, actually. But yeah, a little bit more towards um, wine, maybe. Grape skin. Very full, like a very rich, dark, dark smell. Let's smell it, taste it. Ooh. Wow, it's like a very leathery. It's like if you take a really leathery, smoky Bordeaux wine and change the whole thing in the process so that instead of turning it into wine, you turn it into grape juice. Yeah, it's got like a mixed berry flavor, but also like a shoe leather. Really um, like a blacksmith. Like a sort of, uh, ooh, some sort of medieval. It's a very medieval flavor. It's very interesting. Like all this, this is, man, the Sparkling Botanicals Day are so on brand. Because they're all like not that enjoyable, straightforward, enjoyable, but they're all extremely interesting. Like I've never tasted anything like this. Old mushroom cellar sweetness from berries. It's just such a mindfuck that it's also a sparkling water because it's, it feels like you're in the 1400s having some juice that the old man made, but... Then he also soda streamed it. You're like a page. You're like studying to become a blacksmith. 
and you've been working real hard for a few months and he wants to reward you and it's like you get you get a little break and he you get to try his his berry drink that he's making yeah um especially compared to the dandelion ginger and the turmeric it's very drinkable it's not that bitter it's not that crazy it's it's uh, that's an 8 out of 10 because it's just so interesting very interesting yeah so um what else is going on partly i feel like i should now talk about this thing with so my therapist tyson always said that i have a problem with being disintegrated and um it's like <clears throat> I don't know. It started. There's something about languages that we're just, it's hard to, it's hard to integrate your different personalities from different languages. It's not the most obvious thing. And for me, it's almost like I'm surprised that people know who they are. And that people stay one person. Because that doesn't seem normal. To me, To me, my way of doing it seems normal. But um, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, for example, I could go even further back. But for example, when I first moved to America, I was living here in Seattle. And I was looking for an office job. And I got a job at... Um, while waiting, while sending out resumes and stuff, I was like, let's just do something. So I walked downstairs. I was living like basically upstairs from a Chipotle, like the Mexican fast serve, fast food restaurant. And so I walk into this Chipotle and I um, apply for a job. And I, um, everyone in there was Mexican. And I was like, my name is Joaquim. You know, it's a weird thing to do, but that's what I told them. And it's what my ID said. So they just went with it, even though I'm like a blonde Swedish guy. <laughs> they just went with it. And so everyone called me Joaquim, and I was just like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just be a Mexican dude here. And I just did what everyone else there was doing, and it was good. And then that started this other journey of realizing that maybe I don't want an office job because I enjoy this stuff so much more. I enjoy just being physically active and social and and food. I really enjoy working with food. And then the only problem working with Chipotle is that you get paid minimum wage, basically. So it's like, I don't want to get paid minimum wage. So that's why I got a, was like, I need to get a different, I need to get a restaurant job at a real restaurant where I could make some good money. So I ended up at Blue Star. And when I walked in there, I, I introduced myself as Joey. And I don't know why I don't like thinking about that. It's um, the origin of that name, if I'm being completely honest, is probably when I first went to China the first time. It's weird because there is certain like 
there's a certain feeling of inevitability where I have this complicated Swedish name, Joachim. And it's three syllables and it's unfamiliar. So when I first moved, when I first visited China the first time and made some friends, I don't know that I introduced myself as Joey, but probably. Or someone just decided to call me that quickly because I was like a little kid and my name was Joachim. And there's this other part of it where it's like I was really young and the television show Friends made the, those names in that show really front of mind for everyone including myself and um i think maybe my friend clayton came up with it but i just went with it and then i introduced myself as joey and it's interesting because like that name exists in america but it exists sort of exclusively for young people and I didn't really realize that until I got into my 20s and people still called me that. And then when I was working at Blue Star, this other guy started working there and his name was Joey and he was like 19. And he was right at the cusp there where he was like an Italian-American guy. And he was 19 and people called him Joey. And he had always been called Joey, but now he wanted to no longer be called Joey because he was too old for that now, he thought. And that's when I realized that, oh, there's a thing where you like, people call you Joey when you're really young and then you try to transition out of that. So he wanted people to them call him Joe. But, but you, we don't, it's not that easy to change what people call you, you know? People don't think about you enough to remember that you want to change what people call you. Like there's so much narcissism in trying to change what people call you. And I think that says everything I have to say about trans people and the gender pronoun game. It's like there's so much narcissism in, in putting your whole personal journey of self-discovery in the hands of people around you and which pronoun they use for you as if that has any bearing on your own journey of identity. It's like has nothing to do with it. Don't worry about which pronoun people use for you. But that's a reaction of me living in Seattle for many years and being surrounded by people who are... <clears throat> people who are annoying. Um, what was I talking about? Yeah. So Joey at Blue Star really struggled with having people change his name. And I never managed to get the people at Blue Star not to call me Joey, even after I realized that I don't like that name. But I worked there and that was the name I went with. And that name is the name of someone who isn't very smart. You know, it's that kind of name. It's just one of those names. It's the name of someone who isn't very smart. That person doesn't read books. That person... It's the name of a village idiot, you know? So I think there I was a village idiot. 
I think part of why I ended up being a busser longer than I should have before I got to be a server there was because I accidentally introduced myself as Joey on my first day. You know? Those those things are connected. And then I never managed to not be the village idiot there. It was also like I was new in America and I'd never worked in a restaurant and I had no idea how anything worked. So I was a village idiot. And I... And and there was, I don't know, it's the mix of how if you just have an accent, then people understand why you don't understand something. But my, people are always really confused by me. Because I sound, people think I sound like an American, but I was still confused by things and didn't know what things were called I'm being, this is being very abstract. I remember my first week at Blue Star, I was setting up, I was like setting up tables and stuff and I um, needed napkins because you like put down a napkin and you put down silverware when people are going to be seated. And I didn't know that they were called napkins, so I called them tissues. And I was like, where can I find more tissues? And then you have all these white Americans just these normal people who thought I was one of them because I looked like one of them. I looked like this white guy, this like nerdy, lanky, tall white guy who sounds like an American. And I referred to restaurant napkins as tissues. And they looked at me and were like, tissues? You call those tissues? And it was like I was the village idiot, you know? You don't even know what I'm talking about. It's so funny. I don't even know if this makes any sense. But that's how everything was. Because I was just some Swedish guy who'd lived in China for 10 years. You know, I had no idea how anything worked. And I was too old to not know anything. None of it made sense. And then I hung around there because it was a real chill time. And I hung around there for a long time. And then... When I got a new restaurant job, I it was clear to me that I have to start over completely. I have to start over completely. And now I know how restaurants work, sort of. Or I thought I knew how restaurants worked. And I got a job at Sushi Kapitamura and I introduced myself as Joachim. That's how I... That's my compromise. I In Swedish, we don't have the hard J sound... So sometimes, like when my friend Karl Herberg visited me and Sebastian in Shanghai, he would say things like, I told a yoke and no one laughed. Oh, the cat yumped up on the couch. Because we don't have that hard J sound, so like yumping around and telling a yoke, you know? And I decided to introduce the hard J sound with my name. I decided not to go with Joachim, I decided to go with Joachim, Okay. Capiche? <laughs> so that was too long of a name. So the name that Toshi came up for with me, the floor manager over there, love Toshi. Shouts out to Toshi. She started calling me Joa. And then the Korean heritage sushi chef, Matt. God, I love that man. If you go to Sushi Kapitamura, make sure your food is made by Matt because... He's one of the best men I've ever met. He was like, yeah, yeah. Joa Kim. 
is a good name because Kim, it makes it sound like you're a Korean guy. Joa means the good one in Korean. I have no idea if that's true. But he was like, yeah, so it sort of means like you're the good Kim. You're one of the good ones. Everyone's named Kim, but you're one of the good ones. So everyone called me Joa. And I really wanted to not be the village idiot over there. But it turns out that I didn't know how restaurants worked. And I'd only worked at a Greasy Spoon Diner. And I did not, had not been trained on the steps of service. And I was still the village idiot. That's honestly why I had to quit that place. See, my my goal with these things is never to integrate. I'm never trying to integrate all these parts of me. I'm always trying to erase the past. <laughs> Fuck. Which is more disintegration. But it's it's what it is, you know? And um So, I mean, honestly, why I quit that place is because I was running away from myself again, okay? <laughs> We're being honest now. So, um, didn't want to be the village idiot, so I quit. And I got a job at a new place. And that place was, again, like, it was a step down in terms of service. So there, for the first time, I had the opportunity to not be the village idiot. Because I'd been trained really hard. And I had been what the Americans like to refer to as whipped into shape. I had been whipped into shape. And at that point, I was a very well-trained server. And I, at that point, I actually knew everything about restaurants. And now I wasn't just thinking that. Now that was true. I felt like now, when I find a new place, I can, for the first time, not be the village idiot. And so I go to this place. And the thing is that I was referred there by... Sydney, who used to work with me at Blue Star. So the problem was that the name stuck around. She was like, I know this guy. His name is Joey. He's a really good server. Hire him. And so I show up there and Paul at Five Hooks, we have a two-hour interview. And I don't know how to... My name has already been established. She's already said that my name is my name, you know, and it's not the name. And so we really hit it off. I, I immediately, we immediately have a lot of affinity for each other, me and the owner over there, Paul. And everything is great, except he, he's calling me Joey. This name that I have escaped is being brought back to life because that's how it goes, you know? I, that's what everyone called me a blue star. And those people didn't all die. Those people are still alive. Like, you can't cleanly escape. It's not that easy to escape your past. And I don't know how to face this and tell him that I don't want to be called Joey. So I don't tell him. Instead, I tell his son. Because so Paul is the owner and his son is the general manager, the floor manager. The front of house manager, I should say. So I everyone's calling me Joey. And on my first day, when it, or like my first training shift, I tell his son. So it's actually Joe is what I tell him. Because that seemed like I couldn't. There's something about how a fancy restaurant can handle a weird name, a weird European name, like Joachim. Because it, um, 
there's something that goes hand in hand with being fancy and having a weird European name. But at a Greasy Spoon Diner, a weird European name just gets Ellis Islanded, almost. Like, at a Greasy Spoon Diner, all the Mexicans just end up being called... People don't let you have your real name. And that's actually true. Like, I had a... Like, there was this little Thai lady that worked with me at Blue Star, and her name was Suyeta Tip. But no one... People didn't go with that because they... There's this Ellis Island concept in America where if you are not in a position of power, your name is going to get compressed. There's a compression function. Where, where a derisive white man will look at you and be like, no, your name is not Suyeta Tip. And they gave her the name Ma'am. That's what everyone called her. Like, not as in Ma'am, like, how are you, Ma'am? I mean, that's how people said it. But people said it as if it was her name. Ma'am. And it had nothing to do with anything. And then <clears throat> there was also this little Vietnamese lady what the fuck was that lady's name? Yeah, there was another Vietnamese lady who also had a weird Vietnamese name, and they just gave her a different name. Oh, I wish I could remember those two names, but I can't. But, um, so, I at Five Hooks, I couldn't go with Joachim, so Joe is what I told the owner's son that I want to go with. And then I never told the owner, but the son told the owner. And so I get this text from the owner. This is what he texts me. I'm like asking him about when to work, and he goes, sorry with the Joey name. That is the name I got from Sydney. That is for her, not me. I get it, haha. And then I go, haha, no problem. Yeah, outside of Blue Star, everyone calls me Joe or Joachim. A That's a lie. That's a lie. No one calls me Joe. No one calls me Joe, actually. But that's the name I went with there, and it, worked very well and that was the first time I actually knew our restaurants worked and I went with the name Joe and that name didn't feel like a name that held me back and two weeks in he was like I'd worked as a server there for two weeks and he was like do you want to be the manager and he made me the manager and I don't think he would have done that if I'd gone with the name Joey that might not be true But that's how I feel. Dude, where's the vape? Oh, there we go. So, um, it was, that was a totally new persona for me that I went with there, where I just went with confidence. And when, when there was a problem, when I made a mistake, I just looked at someone, I just looked at the person that found out that I made a mistake and I pointed a finger in their face and I said, no, you made the mistake. My name is Joe. I know how things work. And I made it their problem. And up until that point, whenever there had been a discrepancy, it's just like, my name is Joey, so it must be my fault. You know? Because that's how it goes. That's how confidence works, and that's how names work, and that's how guilt and culpability works. You know? Reality is very fungible. Reality is you can make adjustments. And um, 
that was the first time where I felt like a grown-up in a job in America. Or I got to be a grown-up. And I just owned it. <clears throat> and I managed to erase a little bit of my history. And then... Um, and then I got a job at Babar, and that was the first time where I felt like, all right, so now we're not going to go with Joe, we're not going to go with Joaquim, we're not going to go with Joey. And I just went with Joachim. And it's a long name, and I just straight-faced said it to people. And every single time people were like, what? People never, it took everyone individually so long to figure out what my name was. But I just went with it. I was like, you can ask me again. It's Joachim, and you have to say the whole fucking thing, and there's no nicknames, nothing. My name is Joachim, and I may, I did this thing where it's like, my fucking pronouns are something difficult. Deal with it. It's your problem, and that's an asshole thing to do, and I did that, and I felt like an asshole, but I just owned it, and I swallowed that asshole feeling, and I achieved personhood. And I was a very good server, and I immediately took all the good shifts, and everyone thought I was the best, and I was the best, and we had statistics on the wall in the office, and two weeks in, I had the best numbers. And I was like, my name is Joachim. It's a complicated name. And, yeah. And all those different persons are, like, still alive inside of me, and I don't know how to integrate all those persons and then I got fired from Babar and now now no one calls me anything um, and that's fine and that's fine and that's fine maybe we should do another water And then on the podcast, it's like, <clears throat> on the podcast, I have Swedish listeners, so I have to just erase this whole history of all these names, and I just go with Joachim. Soft, soft yay sound. And then people are like, why do you say your name like that on the podcast? And it's like, well, because it's my name. Because all these games aside... All this like ridiculous, meaningless journey of narcissism with all these names. All that aside, my name is actually Yuakim. Like that's the name my mom gave me. Because we don't get to decide what we're called. Our moms decide. So this one is called Bubbler. There's no E. B-U-B-B-L apostrophe R. Like the word Tumblr. I mean, yeah. Like the website Tumblr. Um, antioxidant sparkling water that boosts, energizes, restores, and, oh, energizes and restores balance. It's so, everything in here is so, um, stylized that it's hard to read it. It's hard to know which order these fucking words are in. And the flavor is Twisted Elixir, which is raspberry, lime, and citrus. So we're doing the berry. We're doing a very raspberry heavy flavor, heavy episode. Whoa! I've never realized this, but this is from the makers of Chlorbrun. Chlorbrun. One of my favorite Chlorbruns is the pomelo. Pomelo grapefruit. Oh, 
Yep, that smells like aspartame. Oh, God, I hate the smell of aspartame. Yeah, there's a little bit of vanilla in the background and aspartame. Raspberry lime citrus. Should not smell like aspartame and vanilla, but it does. I mean, there are notes of citrus, but really it's 60% aspartame, 20% vanilla. And it, it's like a fake chemical vanilla, like vanilla Coke, which I actually like. But as much as I like it, I can still admit that the vanilla flavor in vanilla Coke is not like someone threw a stick of vanilla in there. It's not it's not canela bark, you know. Hey. 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 Alexa. Alexa, stop. What did I say that just woke her up? Anyway. Um, Alexa really fucked me up there. Um, yeah, so let's t taste it. Oh, that's awful. Oh, that's awful. That is so sweet. Oh, that's so sweet. Carbonated water, erythrol, stevia extract. Oh, maybe that's stevia, not aspartame. Wow, this ingredient list is long and weird. Cyanocal. Cyanocobalamine. Never heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah, this is awful. I've had I've had one sip and I wish I could just not sip it again. But I for the pot I have to try it again. Okay, let's try it again. Yeah, bro, that's undrinkable. That's disgusting. That's a one out of ten. There's just so much sweetener. That's awful. Downvote. Downvote. One out of ten. Bubbler. Bubbler, you guys need to you guys need to reel it in with the sweetener. Like you think people can't drink something that you put you sparkle it and you put citrus juice in it? You think that's not good enough? You think we you have to burn my face off with stevia? Makes me mad. Makes me hopping mad. Yeah. <sighs> Next time I get a job, I wonder what I'm going to introduce myself as. I never know before walking in. When I walk in, I just sort of reach out a hand and something new just comes out. It's a new context and I just sort of like... Something new just happens. You know, this conversation about um, erasing the past, it um, reminds me of this article I read in The New Yorker yesterday. I bought and I used to subscribe to The New Yorker because I am a, uh, you know, flailing artist and uh, intellectual, uh, pseudo-intellectual and, uh, you know, because I'm a pretentious fuck. But I no longer subscribe to The New Yorker, but I was in an airport and I bought an issue of The New Yorker to read on the plane. And then I obviously didn't read it. I just played my Nintendo Switch because I am a intellectual 
zombie. But then I read it last night. And very it's a very good article. It's called The Trump Papers by Jill Lepore. And um, <clears throat> first of all, it perfectly follows this extremely rigid formula that The New Yorker has where they you start out with something simple and superficial and and present day and interesting a sort of hook so in this one it's all about Donald Trump and it's about Donald Trump shredding all of his papers always he keeps no records even though legally he has to and he makes everyone sign NDAs and it's just all this funny like tabloid factoids is the first section and then the second section is always that you go back in time and start filling out the context you go back in time really really far and you tell the history leading up to the thing you talked about in the first section that's like the very rigid new yorker format they do a specific line break it's always the same length too. It's like a little bit less than one page is the first section. And then the next section is history that slowly works itself up to the present. And then in a sort of third section later on, several pages in, the two threads are woven together. It's like a very, very rigid specific format. It's not like New Yorker invented it, but they definitely defined it for themselves of the style of it and the length of the different sections and how you're allowed to, when you jump from segment one to segment two, you're allowed to do a huge jump. And here, the jump is like, you know, blah, 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 the Presidential Records Act isn't easily enforceable. The Trump presidency nearly destroyed the United States. Will what went on in the darker corners of his White House ever be known? That's the end of the first segment. And then the next segment starts like this. The truth behind a president's actions can be found only in his official papers, Harry S. Truman said in 1949. And every presidential paper is official. So there you've gone 50 years back in time. And then this article goes through like 30 different presidents and their relationship with how with their own written records and how most of these presidents wanted everything destroyed and then most of these presidents said that to like their secretary or their chief of staff or someone and then most of those assistants didn't destroy the records there's that pattern the presidents all want it destroyed and it doesn't get destroyed and it's so fascinating how they managed to go through like dozens of presidents vis-a-vis -vis that specific question of do you want your paperwork destroyed or not and the feeling you get reading that article is that it's a very universal sentiment the sentiment that we got to present day and the road to present day was messy and that messiness is something we want to forget about you know, wanting to erase history is like wanting to start over. It's such a strong universal feeling. And um, I think everyone has that. And I think it makes people delete all their emails and stuff. And, and um, 
I don't know. I think in, in me it it has there, it's um, locking horns with this other narcissist thing of because I think it's very narcissistic because I mean in the in in the case of presidents this is not true because in the case of presidents people do want to read your records but in the case of normal people sitting around no one is trying to read your emails you're a narcissist the fact that you're destroying all these emails and deleting all these messages and stuff it's it's because you have an inflated sense of importance because no one was going to fucking look at those anyway so it, that's a form of narcissism and, that I have and then I also have this other opposing form of narcissism where I want to archive everything I want a presidential archive for myself where I want everything I want to hoard every scrap piece of paper because I feel like it might be really important to me or the world later on because I touched it you know and um the result is that I want to hide everything away safely. And I mean everything. So I have all these like personas and names and I want the records of all of those shameful old people in my head. All those shameful old personalities. I want them all archived and saved. Uh, don't ask me why. Because I think I'm important, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's the episode. I think that's the episode. God. Joey. For my whole time in China. No, for my whole time in Shanghai, everyone called me Joey. And there was this sense of inevitability where I just felt like I couldn't get away from it because I felt like that was just the name you end up with if your Swedish name is Joachim. Amer an American is always going to call you Joey. And very different groups of Americans ended up calling me that. And then there was this second step of inevitability where if your name is Joey, your Chinese name is going to be Joey. And that was also a name I ended up with. There was a parallel double creation in both cases where... I get to a new context, I leave it up to someone else to come up with a name for me, and that person comes up with the same name again. The name I was not trying to escape, but the name I had in the previous context. I don't know if that's true, but I think many different people came up with the Chinese name Joey for me, and I think many different people came up with the English name, let's call it an English name, Joey. I think both the Canadians that I met first when I landed in Shanghai came up with it, and then independently, I think the Americans also came up with that same name. Because of a young little kid, and I introduced myself, and what I said when I introduced myself was something that started with J-O. Yeah. And then I always hated that but I felt like I couldn't escape it. I, I felt like it was very limiting. And then 10 years later, I met this Italian-American kid at Blue Star, and his name was Joey, and he felt like it was limiting in the exact same way because he was also like a pseudo-intellectual. He was always like talking about what books he'd read and 
just like a really obnoxious, pretentious kid who didn't want to be called Joey because he felt like you can't be a pretentious kid and be called Joey. And I was like, whoa, that's exactly what I've been feeling for 15 years that I didn't know how to put into words. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. That was our review of three berry-flavored sparkling waters. Raspberry from Wild CBD. Patagonia McKee from Sparkling Botanicals by Rishi. And Twisted Elixir, Raspberry Lime Citrus from Bubbler. Thank you for listening. Sparkling water. Sparkling Christmas. Sparkling water. Sparkling Jesus Christ. <laughs>